on the Talkback Show on the radio or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC podcast, where we talk about the Packers and our hometown of Green Bay. This is episode 35, created on December 28th, 2022. I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin. Along with me, Jeff in Minnesota and Neil doing a veritable amount of traveling this holiday season is in the great state of Texas. Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking. Hello, everyone. As John said, I am in Texas, and I'm drinking an appropriately Texas beer. I'm having a Shiner Tex-Hex. Well, good evening, gentlemen. So I'm, uh, as John mentioned, I'm in Minnesota, and I'm actually having a Minnesota beer tonight. I'm having a Surly 2022 Darkness. All right, and I'm drinking some of the liquor I got as a Christmas present. I have a bourbon old-fashioned with ginger ale. And you can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat. As always, the audio is available on Spotify and Anchor, and you can just find us there on Green Bay Chat. What are we taking a look at this week? Well, it's Christmas in Miami, as well as the Minnesota Vikings now coming to Green Bay on New Year's Day. We've got your playoff scenarios for both the AFC and the NFC, and uh, we're going to get a little Packer history of these holiday games of Christmas Day and New Year's Day. But with all that, it was Christmas. It was a beautiful Christmas day as well. Not a perfect win, maybe some missed opportunities, but Green Bay came away with a victory, one step closer to making the playoffs in the NFC. What'd you guys see in this game? Let's just go look at back at what we were talking about we needed to have happen. I said last week that we needed a turnover in order to possibly change this game. We got a few of them. They were kind of critical. I said that we had an advantage. <laughs> I said that we had an advantage in special teams over Miami. Guess what? That advantage in special teams absolutely played out as far as the game was concerned. Um, you know, it was a game that certainly had a lot of uh, very threatening things as far as Packers fans. There were a lot of things in the first half. You like it was at multiple points. It was a oh shit, what is going to happen as far as this game is concerned? It could have blown up in the wrong direction very, very quickly. And somehow uh, we managed to avoid the biggest possible blowups and we managed to turn the game around with a couple of key plays, but also with a couple of key Miami errors. Talking about that special teams though, Neil, and, and, and not being a perfect win, there are plenty of missed opportunities. You get a, a 93 yard kickoff return and only walk away with three points on that. Uh, not to mention the other turnovers, the, the final turnover. It's not fair to say that you didn't get any points on that last interception, uh, but there's, there's you know, two other interceptions and a, and a fumble there. Did they capitalize on the bounty of turnovers that they got or the, the bountiful special teams play that they got in this game? Most important statistic, and we won the game. We did enough that we needed to do to win, and that's all that I care about in the end. Um, it was really beautiful to see the... Uh, the Keyshawn Nixon kickoff return right at the beginning of our first drive from scrimmage, right? So Miami goes down, we're able to keep them to a field goal and that's great. I was actually at an airport bar watching this. I happened to be forced to travel on Christmas day. I was watching most of the game either in an airport bar or watching it on the plane. Um, and when Keyshawn Nixon did his return, I, I screamed in the bar and the, the, the bartender looked at me very sternly and said, please don't scream right now. Well, guess what? I'm going to scream because it's my Packers. And um, that was absolutely beautiful. And yeah, I mean, there was a, 
definite sense of foreboding when we were only able to get three points out of that. I mean, our, our first drive, we had four plays and we went for negative nine yards. The Rogers sacked for 13 yards. That just screamed out an oh shit type of situation. And certainly when Miami got the ball back and had a one play 84 yard touchdown drive, um, that did not scream out good omens as far as the game was concerned. No, I was around halftime. I had texted out. I'm like, you know, I was trying to be positive. I was trying to be upbeat. And I'm like, are we literally watching the season slip away here? But I did say, um, and I was hoping, you know, adjustments need to be made. Well, we've seen this now a couple of weeks in a row, right? Where adjustments have been made, like serious adjustments have been made. Game winning adjustments have been made. We didn't see this earlier in the year. We talked about this a lot didn't see these and all of a sudden like the adjustment fairy showed up or the Chris, you know, whatever you want to say. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh shit. So suddenly the defense, when they were giving up these huge plays, suddenly they weren't, I mean, what they had five drives, four were turnovers in the, uh, and a missed field goal in the second half. I mean, yay defense. They gave up, I think a total of a hundred yards after halftime. So again, is this, a major, you know, is the defense, you know, this is the second coming, Joe Barry is a god, or is it a matter of, well, Miami really shit the bed and the Packers helped themselves with the turnovers. And, you know, as we found out later, two is in concussion protocol. Okay, so was he concussed? Was that why he was, you know, throwing some up for grabs? Who knows? Doesn't matter. We'll take the win. Um, but that's to your point earlier. Yeah, there's there's some things that still need to be cleaned up. Well, other... I, I like I like doom and gloom, Jeff, because your your pessimism leads to to good things in other places. That's but... generally been the case. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the defense, though, you know, Neil, you keep talking about having four solid quarters out of this team. I, I still don't think we got it. And and part of it is that that first half defense just so many times finding the soft spot in the zone, finding the hole in the zone, letting the runs go for way too far. But a lot of the anecdotes that, that came out this week is not Joe Barry who, who bit into the defense, but defensive back coach, Jerry Gray, who, who got on at his, his guys and said, get your ass in gear out there, you know, tackle somebody, probably a lot more colorful than that. And uh, (laughs) whatever he said, it did some magic. But, you know, the magic was already showing up even before halftime. So we look at Tua. So through Miami's second touchdown, so we're at this point, 10.52 remaining in the second quarter. Tua was 5 of 8 for 192 yards as the Dolphins had a 17-10 lead over the Packers. And, yes, we know, and I'll go through it, that Tua was not as effective in the second half, but even after that 10.52 point remaining, Tua was not as effective. And yes, you look at the numbers, he was four of four, but for 37 yards. So not this, you know, whatever, 23 yard average that he had. And we also sacked him twice. And that's really how we turned the game around in the second quarter, right? The second quarter is when we had the opportunity of having the game go completely out of reach. And Uh, We made some key plays and they made some mistakes and that was the difference. But let's just go back to this point. So Miami scores the touchdown to go ahead 17 and 10. We go four and out on a fake punt 
that gives Miami the ball at our 20 yard line. So what I was going to say earlier is that I think that the aggression fairy was definitely present. And most of the times that worked out there were a couple of key times. It didn't, this fake punt was certainly one of those times. So Miami gets the ball on our 20 yard line and they had a seven play drive that went four yards we stopped them with a field goal and critical to that were a Miami holding penalty, but more importantly, a Jaron Reed sack and a Preston Smith sack. That defense stepped up to take a game that was 17-10, should have gone from Miami's perspective to 24-10 and kept it at a 20-10 game. We get the ball back and go three and out. We're sacked. We have a deep incompletion. On a third and 12, we do an eight-yard pass to Christian Watson. So a quick three and out. Miami gets the ball back, and thankfully, on their second play from scrimmage, Jaron Reed again makes the play, Mostert fumble, we get the ball back at midfield, we go on, finish that half out with a field goal to make it 20-13, to 13. but this is a game that could have been 24-10, it could have been 31-10 at halftime, I don't think we're coming back from that, the defense absolutely stepped up in the second half of the second quarter, and if they don't do that, we're not in this game. Well, there's a couple other things that, that struck me, too. I totally agree with you, Neil, thankfully. So now the defense has posted at least one takeaway in nine consecutive games. So this is coming up on a franchise record of 10 straight games in 2015. And obviously the defense has been hot. 15 takeaways since week eight is second in the league behind Dallas. And the 12 interceptions since week eight are first in the NFL. So defense is finding a way. They're peaking at the right time, and that's encouraging. Certainly the, the statistics show it, you know, that this is the defense that we wanted all year. I, I still, you know, am going to go to the eye test. Um, and, Neil, you're right about the timing on that in the second quarter. It, like I said, just getting four quarters out of them because that whole first quarter with the back and forth and just being frustrated with the defense in that first quarter – but yeah, once the score is 20 to 10, Green Bay is, is able to outscore Miami 16 to nothing uh, after that. And that, you know, speaks volumes about your defense to, to, you know, come back and pitch that shutout. I think we'd like to see it happen in the first quarter, <laughs> you know, the whole way through. Yeah. A little bit sooner uh, to, yeah. to, to kind of put your, your, your stamp on the game right away. Well, let's go into that second half defense. So, Tua in the second half was only seven of 13 for 81 yards, zero touchdowns. And of course those three interceptions, but only 6.2 yards per attempt in the second half after being 19.1 yards per attempt in the first half for Tua. But that also applied to Miami's rushing game. Miami's rushing game was 10 rushes for 58 yards, 5.8 per attempt in the first half. They were only eight rushes for 24 yards, an average of only 3.0 yards per attempt in the second half. We limited Tyreek Hill to one reception for 19 yards in the second half. It's not just that we made those turnovers. We were playing good defense all the way around, and the turnovers came in the context of good defense throughout the entire second half. You know what I want to know? Talking about those interceptions. So going back to the Rams game uh, and the and the interception when Rodgers overthrew Lazar and the over-analysis of Packer fans and, and our fellow podcasters on just that one single play of whose fault it was, who's getting the blame, who's blaming, who did this, who did not. You know, uh, my, my curiosity is, are there Dolphins fans out there with their podcasts doing the same thing? Um, the overthrow <laughs> that Jair got 
the 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 Devondre Campbell interception, the the running back going down wasn't even looking. You know, are these guys that that are Dolphins fans are they picking every single one of these things apart on Tua? And and you got to believe that they are, but we never see that side. We're we're always so hypercritical of our own team. We we fail to see when fans of the other teams are are doing the same thing to their quarterback and their players. Uh, and they should have been because I didn't think it was exceptional play by our defenders that led to those interceptions. They obviously played well. And uh, Jair's post game interview was glorious as far as watching that. I think I've watched Jair's post game <laughs> interview about fifteen times. They clearly made mistakes, but we took advantage of them. You have to be in the position in order to take advantage of those mistakes. Well, and what was happening is they weren't dropping the interceptions this time they were capitalizing the defense was capitalizing on the mistakes which again earlier this season we saw that not happening you know there's a couple of times oh god is this dropped interception gonna come back and bite us in the ass yep they did it they caught the ball the tackle but you're right and it, it seems like success begets success right because then the tackling started getting better you know it just the whole thing kind of snowballed um, so super encouraging, but I think the offense again, too, they found a way to win. They, you know, with, with Watson being out, um, and unfortunately then Nixon, you know, was, was out by, you know, by halftime or even before key injuries, they still found a way to win. But again, this success, this kind of like, oh, maybe we can do this. You know, how much of this is that mindset? And Earlier this season, it just didn't seem to be there. They were flat. They weren't, you know, they weren't excited. They weren't playing with, you know, some passion. Well, that seems to be back. Is it the passion begets success or the success begets passion? I don't care. I'm seeing both. It's the the flight home is always more fun after you've won a game. And <laughs> and as Neil alluded to, you can tell that they were enjoying that. I mean, all three of those interceptions, um, I think I think all three players, uh, the reaction more was, oh, shit, that ball's coming right to me because that, yeah. that's really what all three of them looked like. Uh, Campbell had to reach a little bit to snag his out of the air. But, uh, you know, all of them had the Jair had the, uh, and got the ball and, and <laughs> headed downfield with it. Uh, so the defense certainly looked in the second half for sure uh, like the defense that we wanted all year. And we just need that to continue moving out. We talked a lot about the defense. Neil, I know you have those offensive numbers you want to throw out at us as well. Yeah, so. You know, this is, again, a game in which our running backs played a critical role, but it was a game that was really dominated by Aaron Rodgers as far as offense being able to move the ball. So um, Dylan, 11 rushes for 36 yards and a key touchdown. Jones, 6 for 25. They both had two receptions. Rodgers was actually, you know, 7 rushes for 18 was critical, and they had one really critical 12-yard run. But overall, our rushes, 25 rushes for 79 yards, only a 3.2-yard per attempt average. On the other hand, Aaron Rodgers, when the game mattered most, did the things that mattered. In the first quarter, when it was a 10-10 game between the two teams, Rodgers was 7 of 10 for 78 yards. Um, he did have that one sack. He had a 126.2 passer rating in the first quarter. In the second quarter, when we were outscored 10 to 3, Rodgers was only 5 of 12 um, for 36 yards. So only three yards per attempt in that second quarter. And that explains why the second quarter was a much tougher one for us. But in that critical third quarter, Aaron Rodgers, six of seven, 84 yards, 12 yards per attempt. That's why we were able to take the game, make it a tie game, and then be able to take the lead in the third, in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, Aaron Rodgers, six of nine, 40 yards, only 4.4 per attempts. He did have that interception. So 
you know, the, the key times of the game when we needed to score, when we were desperate to score, though, we were more dependent on Aaron Rodgers than we were on our running backs. And I think that that says something, and that is absolutely a turnaround from the earlier part of the year when we're saying, yeah, when we needed to do something, it was Aaron Rodgers who's not getting the job done. Aaron Rodgers is getting the job right now done at the most important part of the season. Now, Aaron Rodgers had help. Um, John's favorite statistic, I think, from the game is the fact, other than the final score, is the fact that 10 different receivers uh, had a reception for the Packers. Yes. Our, our leading receiver, Lazard, again, yes. only had 61 yards, Watson 49 yards. Everyone else was 36 yards or fewer. Um, Mercedes Lewis, though, huge game. He had the touchdown pass and he had a long conversion. Two receptions, 32 yards and a touchdown. Mercedes Lewis actually doubled his total receiving yards for the season in this game. Now, of course, Mercedes Lewis does a lot more than just catch passes, um, but Lewis had an absolute monster of a game for the Packers. Now, I will say there were a couple of questionable plays as far as the passing game was concerned that did not look like what we liked so much about last week. And I want to go back to two situations. First, in the second quarter, when we had a fourth and one and we decided to go a long pass to Watson on a fourth and one giving Miami the ball uh, back and I, I just don't understand the long pass on a fourth and one unless the guy is absolutely open you've got to have plays that are going to get the job done we've obviously talked about the face fake punt that was not on the offense that's on Matt LaFleur and then going back into Rogers interception it was a third and 15 at Miami's 38 we we're in a situation where if we had five yards we're in position for a field goal. We went for the long pass that, again, a long pass is good as a punt, sure, but we could have had a five-yard pass, been in field goal range, and gotten three points on the board. So um, I, again, call those as, you know, why are we going for the home run in those situations where we need one yard? And those are great points, Neil, because if this game ends up being a loss, I think those, the, the, the fourth and one, you know, 50-yard pass over Watson's head and, and the fake punt, you know, Dallin Lovett trying to go right up the middle. I think those are two plays that we probably would be talking about ad nauseum uh, if this game ends in a loss. I, absolutely. I mean, I think that that fake punt was a disaster. I mean, I, I like having a bit of desperation, but that was just too much desperation for where we were on the field. However, it did light a fire under the defense. So it kind of, it, you know, in an unlikely source, what I was thinking back to regarding some of those plays and I know the multiple receivers, but it seemed like Rodgers was more willing to spread the ball around. So he wasn't trying to key on a couple different receivers. He wasn't forcing the issue. It was kind of one of those proverbial, you know, take what, what they're going to give you. But the other thing is that Rodgers passes are crisper. Yeah. So yeah. they're definitely traveling faster. They don't have that wounded duck or the nose down because I made – a couple references to that during the game. I'm like, okay, there was, there's a couple that weren't great, but by and large, he had zip on the ball. And I think that's what the receivers are also readjusting to that. They're not getting ducks back to them, that they're getting regular passes back. So one could assume that the thumb, if not completely healed is certainly a lot better than it was six weeks ago. Definitely a lot more tightness on the spiral. He's definitely throwing a lot better football. And, and we mentioned it last week too. You know, we, we uh, were very critical of, of Rogers throughout most of the season. And now the last two games, definitely uh, he is coming around. 
So I'd like to make a couple of other shout outs as far as the game is concerned. So we did have several injuries in the game. In the second half, in our nickel and dime packages, we had Innes Gaines and Darnell Savage playing extensively. And again, our pass defense was superb in that second half. Secondly, Yash Nyman was injured in the game. Royce Newman came in, and although he did have two penalties, he only allowed one pressure against a Miami team that loves to blitz. And so um, there are people who stepped up, um, next man up type of philosophy, did their job, and were important as far as us winning that football game. One other player that we need to talk about there, Neil, on a day in which we celebrated the birth of the, the Holy Savior, uh, we also celebrated the golden foot of an Iron Man in Mason Crosby. Blasphemer! Yes, comparing Mason Crosby's foot. Uh, but 14 of our 26 points coming from Crosby. And like I said, there are a lot of times where we have missed opportunities, where we take field goals instead of touchdowns. Yes, but we have been blessed to have a, a superb kicker. We talk about our quarterback play over the last 30 years, but, you know, we forget Chris Jackie, Ryan Longwell, and Mason Crosby, who have been three very reliable kickers, and Mason Crosby now 256 consecutive games for the Green Bay Packers. And not only is Mason Crosby first for consecutive games played for the Green Bay Packers, he's actually fifth all-time in consecutive games played. So the leader in that Another special teamer, Jeff Fiegel's at 352. Favre is second at 323, including playoffs. Uh, Mason Crosby now at 256 regular season and 278, including playoffs. So he's actually fifth uh, behind Jim Marshall and uh, London Fletcher as far as overall games, including playoffs. He's actually fourth overall in consecutive games played. So the Packers essentially have two Ironmen among the five biggest Ironmen of all time. And yes, special teams Ironmen aren't quite the same thing, but knowing that you have a reliable kicker is something that uh, a lot of teams would love to have. And a lot of teams have suffered because of not having that reliable kicker double doink. He took or, the resort out of my mouth. Yeah. Double or, 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 or you could throw in anything from Minnesota as well, right? You know, Gary Anderson or anything like that. Take all of the Minnesota yeah. failings on, on kicking over the years at critical times. We have not had to worry about that. And, and it absolutely is, is a blessing as far as the Packers are concerned. I will note that uh, Ryan Longwell is actually 12th in the Ironman streak as far as total games played. Obviously, many of those in Minnesota, but Going to John's point, you know, we've had three great kickers over the last 30 years, and that has helped our success immeasurably. The other point in that Ironman, Neil, is, is yeah, kickers, you're right. Special teamers, maybe it is a little bit easier to have that longevity, but Mason Crosby doing it all with one team is the other thing that's spectacular about it. Yeah, he has the longest streak, four consecutive games with just one team. Okay, so three other quick hitters as far as things that have helped us in the game. So Miami shot themselves in the foot with four turnovers. Miami also had eight penalties for 62 yards and that hurt them both on offense and on defense, as far as us being able to move the ball in a couple of key situations and then moving themselves back. Secondly, Preston Smith, 90.0 PFF grade. He was the fifth highest rated defensive lineman or edge rusher in the week by PFF grade. So another great week for Preston Smith. And then finally, Matt LaFleur is now 15 and 0 in December. He has never lost a game as a head coach in December. So uh, unfortunately, we're now going to January 1st for our next game, but let's hope that we can get a regular season new streak going in January since we do not have a current streak. That's one that we want to talk about. So that those 15 consecutive wins in December, historically in the NFL, what's number two currently 
and counting. Obviously, we'll see what happens next year. The 2006 through the 2009 Chargers won 18 straight in December. So we're we're chasing the Chargers, but oh. we're in good company. And let's, you know, next year at this time, let's hope we, we're breaking the record. How often is somebody saying they're chasing the Chargers? Neil, you mentioned January. So that brings us to New Year's Day coming up this Sunday. The Minnesota Vikings coming to Green Bay bringing with them that vaunted 11 and 0 very scary record of 11 and 0 in one possession or one score games but outside of that uh blown out in three losses their only other really big win was that week one win but point differential becomes a thing there as well jeff five 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 <laughs> That's point it. differential is five. 12 and three with a plus five point differential is almost inconceivable, right? That's a Pythagorean record of eight and a half and eight and a half. But what's kind of remarkable is if you look into the statistics further, especially if you go into advanced statistics, the number is actually even worse than that. So I'm going to go right to DVOA because of the usefulness of DVOA in really getting a better handle on what a team is doing. So the Packers are 11th in DVOA. This is an improvement. We've seen improvement every single week. The Vikings, with a 12-3 and record, are 25th in the NFL in DVOA. 25th with a 12-3 and record. So essentially by DVOA, they should be a maybe a 6-9 and nine team, realistically probably a 5-10 and 10 team. Ridiculously bad. Aren't the Packers favored this week? I believe they are, right? I mean, granted, yeah. they're at home. You know, you could if you're a Vikings fan, you could argue almost Ronnie Dangerfield, right? No respect, no respect. But as you're saying, they don't deserve to be favored because they're not. So let's look at the individual DVOA numbers in offense: Packers 10th, Vikings 19th. Defense: the Packers are 19th, the Vikings are 22nd. Special teams: the Packers are 22nd. The Vikings are 28th. We have a better DVOA than the Vikings in offense, defense, and special teams. And a special shout out to that Packers special oh. teams because just two weeks ago, we were 30th in DVOA special teams. We've moved all the way up to 22nd. Um, that tells you how we're doing things right later in the season. You know, looking at more traditional statistics, you know, the numbers are not quite as favorable for the Packers, but still as far as offensive yards, Minnesota and Green Bay are both middle of the pack. The Vikings have the fifth best passing offense by yards, but they have the 28th best running offense by yards, seventh best offense by points. The defense is really where we should be getting excited because as far as yards are concerned, the Vikings are 31st in the NFL in yards allowed at 402 yards per game allowed for that mm. Vikings defense. Their pass defense is 32nd in the NFL at 282 yards per game. Um, as far as points, they're 28th in the NFL at 25 points per game. Those numbers fit what you get from the DVOA, but they really point to the fact that this is a team that's built on a house of cards. They're ready to crumble at any time. And that 11-0 says they haven't quite yet, but every game you watch and you think, yeah, it's definitely going to happen at some point soon. Turnover differential, the Vikings are fifth. Um, they're eighth in takeaways, sixth in giveaways. And so we're hoping that this giveaways part is going to come into play. One other statistic, sort of looking at Cousins versus Rodgers, 
as far as the numbers are concerned, um, they basically have the same number of yards per attempt, around seven yards per attempt, basically the same for touchdown to interception ratio. Cousins has thrown 100 more passes, so he's got 800 more yards. But the other thing that Cousins has is 15 more sacks than Rodgers. Kirk Cousins is the third most sacked quarterback in the NFL behind Russell Wilson and Justin Fields. And again, going into the fact that we know Kirk Cousins has put up some good numbers and there was talk about him as far as MVP, especially earlier in the semester, by that advanced metric of QBR, he is the 20th ranked quarterback in the National Football League. So there, there are a lot of things that Vikings fans would say, oh, look at how much they're doing. Look at what Jefferson is doing. And don't get me wrong. Justin Jefferson is amazing. He's got 1,756 yards on 123 receptions, 14.3 yards per catch, 27 big catches. So catches of 20 yards or more. He's been great. But what they've got behind them, not the same type of depth they're spreading the ball around that the Packers have behind them. And you look at Dalvin Cook on the other side. I was actually very surprised by how bad Minnesota was as far as their rushing offense is concerned, especially when you look at Dalvin Cook, 1,109 yards. He's sixth in the NFL in rushing yards. The problem is that it's all Dalvin Cook and nobody else. And so Dalvin Cook's had five big runs, eight touchdowns. You combine Jones and Dylan, we've got 1,658 rushing yards from those. So 550 more yards than Dalvin Cook has, same number of touchdowns, three more big runs. So our tandem is doing more than Dalvin Cook. And so even though Dalvin Cook is sort of the big name as far as the rushing is concerned, he's doing it basically all by himself. And that's why that Minnesota offense is not as good as it appears on paper. So John, what is the forecast for Sunday in Green Bay? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. It, uh, <laughs> right now we're looking at high temperatures in the mid-30s, 35, 36 degrees and a cloudy day. Uh, it keeps going back and forth on whether we're going to have any precipitation that day. Could be snow, could be rain, could be nothing, could be a little bit of a mix. If it's just a cloudy day in the mid-30s, I, I don't see the weather being a major factor in this one uh, for the Packers as far as an advantage goes, but put some uh, precipitation in the air and that could change. But there's been, uh, there hasn't been any consistent long-range forecasts yet. So that's something I think we'll keep an eye on, you know, and we always do because, you know, we got to be outside tailgating as well. And we want to make sure everybody dresses warm for the game. Uh, the interesting thing about this one is, is uh, two of the most recent home games, the Monday night game against the Rams and the Thursday night game against the Titans. Because of the weather, you know, those ticket prices kind of dictated what, what people thought the weather was going to be like. And those, those ticket prices were well below 50 and even $40. As of right now, you're still looking at face value as the lowest price for tickets uh, for the Packers-Vikings game on the secondary market. Maybe it's because it's a Sunday. Uh, it could be because it's Minnesota. Uh, I think that the Vikings fans may travel well on this one. But weather, yeah, to answer your question <laughs> in the long way there, Jeff, it remains to be seen, but I think mid thirties and cloudy. Uh, I don't see much of an advantage for us for the weather this week. Well, you know, you do have a dome team coming outside and I know that, that the Packers have had success against the Vikings outside, you know, at, at home against Lambeau um, in not in September, basically or October. So, you know, hopefully we'll get some kind of an advantage there. We'll take any advantage we can get, but I still think it's interesting that the Packers are favored, which is good. And perhaps most importantly, with the Packers being at home, playing the Vikings, we don't have to listen to that fucking horn. 
No, no horn in Green Bay. That's that's a good thing. Talking about the point spread, that's a standard, I think, home point spread at three and a half, which I think the bookmakers are looking at as a pick em game because, as Neil pointed out, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on in that 12 and three record that the Vikings are bringing in. Plus, the Packers are hot. We talked about this, how every team that has played us that, you know, at least in that five game losing streak, it felt like every team that we lost to was peaking at that time. Uh, Green Bay is peaking at the right time. Uh, I would have felt more comfortable if we had one more win in the win column right now yeah. uh, for this peaking because we've got a lot to uh, fall in place for us uh, both this week and next week. But that that explains why that spread is the way it is. It's a All straight right. home home team spread is what it is. I want to talk about the Vikings defense a little bit more because, again, their their numbers on defense, on, on their past defense, right? They're 32nd. And one of the things is you look at sort of some of the things that might impact past past defense so uh hunter has 10 and a half sacks so he's 13th in the nfl in sacks zadarius smith has 10 sacks he's 14th in the nfl in sacks so they've got two of the top 14 pass rushers in the nfl but just as they do with dalvin cook as running as far as running the game just as they do with justin jefferson in receiving they're really putting a lot of their firepower in a small number of people minnesota is only 15th overall as far as their sacks are concerned so they're not a dominant pass rushing team and so this says that if our line is able to control their two top pass rushers we probably are going to have time to do what we need to do this is not a team that's going to just overwhelm us with such an incredible pass rush early word right now is that uh, David Bakhtiari may not be uh, ready for this game either so you're looking at Zach Tom at the left tackle again and and Elton Jenkins left guard um, and then hopefully Ash Nyman ready at the at the right tackle spot, which has has fared well. I think that that's a good starting five. Uh, they've gelled. They're looking good. They're getting better blocks. Certainly, uh, Josh Myers. I think he's not uh, the standout player that I hoped he would be this year, but he certainly is has improved as far as getting in the right spot and getting the right blocks downfield. All right, and so one final contrast between the Vikings, who are more star heavy on the team versus the Packers who are more distributive as far as their uh, offense and defense are concerned. So as I said, Jefferson is number one in the NFL in yards. Uh, Adam Thielen is number 45, so well below, but still a decent number. The Packers wide receivers in yards this year are 46, 66, 97, 104, 108, 116, 179, 247, 283, and 311. We're moving the ball around. Again, the numbers wow. for Rodgers and Cousins aren't really that different other than the volume, but we're getting the ball to whoever happens to be open. And, you know, that was certainly a strength against Miami, and it looks to be something that is, um, well, possibly a weakness earlier in the year where we were trying to figure out what to do with these receivers. It is something that is turning into a strength, and I expect it to continue to be a strength. They cannot key on any one player, but other players are able to get open in the time they need to get open. And with all that said, Neil, bottom line is that Green Bay must win this game. We're looking at playoff hopes, playoff scenarios, and, and really what it comes down to is Green Bay winning in Week 17, beating Minnesota this Sunday. Now, after that, some things that would be nice to have fall in our, our favor would be the Saints over the Eagles and the Cowboys over the Titans. And why? Because that makes their Week 18 games relevant because Dallas could then still win the NFC East when we have to look at what's going on there in the NFC East. Washington against Cleveland this weekend. And, and if you're hanging your hat on hoping that Washington loses that game, that could be a stretch. Cleveland may not 
uh, be ready to to play down the stretch here. So Washington could beat Cleveland in week 17, but we need Washington to lose one of the last two games. And our best bet is if that week 18 game against Dallas is a meaningful game. Because if Dallas can't win the division, they're probably going to rest week 18 and just say, hey, we got the five seed. Don't expect Dallas to do Green Bay any favors. That's just not going to happen. I mean, Dallas already has the five seed locked up if they're not going to win the East. So they have nothing to play for if the Eagles win this week. That's why the Saints beating the Eagles is part of that equation there. Uh, The other thing, too, we look at uh, the, the New York Giants. And do they lose any of their last two games? Uh, well, not against Indianapolis. If you're hanging your hat on the on the Colts beating the Giants this week, that, that just isn't going to happen. So let's assume a Giants win there. Um, and then whether that game against Philadelphia in Week 18 is, is going to be a competitive game, if Philly is playing to try to win the division or not, that's that remains to be seen. That's the thing, right? If the Giants beat the Colts, the Giants are completely irrelevant as far as we're concerned. So, I mean, it really is down to asking for a miracle of a Colts team that showed no hint of anything that even was close to a miracle on their last game. So, you know, we're looking at Cleveland. If Cleveland beats Washington and Green Bay beats Minnesota, Green Bay moves into the driver's seat. Also in that week 17, you know, Detroit, expect Detroit to beat Chicago. And I I would expect the New York Jets to beat Seattle as well. I think that effectively moves Seattle to the edge of the bubble and possibly out of contention there. Taking a look at the NFC South, Carolina is at Tampa Bay. New Orleans is at Philadelphia, like we said. Now, all three of those NFC South teams have a shot at the NFC South. So they are playing to win in Week 17. So so the Saints, if you're thinking the Saints are going to just roll over against Philadelphia, probably not because they they have Tampa within firing range and and like i said earlier the best thing that can happen is to make you know those week 18 games relevant the dallas washington game and the new york uh philadelphia game and of course our green bay detroit game where we talked about the schedule at the beginning of the season we said oh great detroit at the end of the season again we're going to see all the scrubs it's not going to you know it's not going to be a game worth watching well now we're looking at a best case scenario green bay and detroit come out of week 17 with eight and eight records and they're playing the Sunday night matchup in week 18 for that final playoff spot in the NFC. Boom. There you go. Who thought that a game against Detroit was going to be the game that could decide the season. Um, and certainly that's what we're hoping for at this point is that that game will decide where our season goes. And, and historically green Bay has played Detroit either the last game or one of the last games of the year. And there have been a few memorable games against Detroit <laughs> The other thing as far as the NFC playoff picture is concerned is what's going to happen with the one, two, and three seeds. Obviously, the South is going to be the four seed, whatever dumpster fire comes out of the South. But I think it's really interesting as far as San Francisco versus Minnesota, right? So we have to beat Minnesota this week. Minnesota is a game ahead of San Francisco, but San Francisco has a nine and two conference record versus Minnesota 7-3 would become 7-4. and four. So San Francisco and Minnesota tie on record. San Francisco is going to be the two seed. Minnesota is going to be the three seed. Talking about that last game of the season as well, Neil, with Detroit. And Green Bay has played Detroit well in those games. But, Neil, it was 14 years ago today that you and I were at a very historic game at Lambeau Field in which the Detroit Lions completed their historic 0-16 season. A team with the historic <laughs> futility of Detroit having that 0-16 record, breaking the Buccaneers 0-14 record um, is something that is is uh, absolutely appropriate for a team such as the Lions. I, I just, there's no better team to be 0-16 than the Lions. 
Real quick, let's take a look at the AFC. We don't always care about the AFC, but we can talk about them. There are five teams already in, the Bills, Chiefs, Bengals, Ravens, Chargers. Hey, Jacksonville is in the driver's seat for the AFC South Division title. They're at Houston in Week 17 and then host Tennessee in Week 18. I mentioned that one because that is another game that is possible for that Sunday night matchup in Week 18. Remember in Week 17 in the AFC, relevant games for the final playoff spot there is that dallas tennessee game that we talked about miami at new england the jets at seattle pittsburgh at baltimore and the raiders at san francisco so there are actually some decent competitive games that are going to happen here in week 17 and then depending on how the dust settles and looking at what could be the sunday night matchup in week 18 oh yeah green bay detroit would be great a possibility the jets and the dolphins for that final playoff spot in the afc but I, I kind of have a, a, a sneaking suspicion that Titans-Jaguars uh, for the AFC title might be the game that gets it. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens this week. But again, no matter what, bottom line, Green Bay must beat Minnesota on New Year's Day, period. I think one of the most remarkable things about Miami this week is that even though we beat Miami, so they lost, they did not lose anything as far as playoff position because not only did they lose, but the Jets shit the bed and the Patriots shit the bed, both of them in fairly dramatic fashion. And so uh, Miami is still in the driver's seat for that third wild card in the AFC. Uh, I think the most interesting question for the AFC is who's going to get the number one seed, right? The bills and the chiefs are currently tied with the best record in the AFC. And you think about that great playoff game that they had last year. And you have to assume that whichever team is home is going to have a huge advantage as far as going to the Super Bowl from the AFC. And, and the best thing is that we are not on the list of teams already eliminated Rams, Falcons, Cardinals, bears, Browns, Colts, Broncos, Texans, they, they do not have a chance to get into the postseason. They're jockeying for position in the draft. So we talked about our Christmas Day game. We have a New Year's Day game coming up uh, this Sunday, which begs the question, how have the Packers fared on these wonderful holiday games? We talked a while back about the Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day has been a great tradition with Packer games, uh, but we don't talk about Christmas Day or New Year's Day all too often, which leads us to our bedtime story, Jeff. That's right. So Thanksgiving games, the Packers have played historically. They haven't done well at all on Thanksgiving. They have a, definitely a losing record on Thanksgiving. However, holiday, the Christmas, New Year's, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, they're really good. They're really good, actually. And in doing research for this, there's been some huge games played and very memorable games played. So first, I want to touch on home games at Lambeau in December and January. The three coldest home games. So again, the coldest home game, Lambeau Field, minus 13 degrees on December 31st, 1967, the Ice Bowl, a win against Dallas. The second coldest home game, minus one, January 20th, 2008. Yeah. Neil, we were at that game, and it was friggin' cold. The third coldest game at Lambeau Field ever was December 26, 1993 against the Raiders. That was the Lambeau Leap game. So there you go. The three zero or below zero uh, at Lambeau. Um, this is the first time in history that the Packers will be playing two regular season games 
at home in January. So let's kind of start chronologically here for Christmas games. Obviously, we just saw that. So the Packers have been really good on Christmas. So this Miami game that we just uh, witnessed last week, that was the first Christmas game that the Packers have played on the road. The prior three were at home. The first one they ever played uh, on Christmas, they lost to the Bears uh, uh, in 2005. That was a game that Favre threw four picks and zero TDs. Not a real memorable game there. Um, So then in 2011 rematch, the uh, Packers beat the Bears 35-21. Rodgers had five touchdowns in in, uh, starting to own the Bears at that point. The third game on Christmas Eve was actually last year where the Packers beat the Browns 24-22. And uh, two notes on that game. Baker Mayfield had four picks in that game. And Rodgers passed Favre in, uh, for franchise all-time passing TDs, 442. The Packers also actually, on Christmas Eve, they're 6-1 and one as well. But I won't go into that. But, but Christmas Eve has the best game as far as the Packers among all of these games on a holiday other than the Ice Bowl. And specifically, the Yancey Thigpen drop in the 1995 final game of the season that propelled the Packers into the 1995 playoffs. 1995 being the year that we beat San Francisco in the playoffs. And that is, in my view, what turned the Packers around was the victory over the defending Super Bowl championship oh. champions. They don't make the playoffs without the Yancey Thigpen game on Christmas Eve. So that Yancey Thigpen game, yes, I was sitting in the end zone with John and I still have my hot cocoa souvenir from the game. This came from that game in 1995. Nice. So there you go. It- now, moving uh, moving from Christmas holiday to New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So the Packers, um, we'll, we'll start in chronological order here. So New Year's Eve, there's been some doozies on New Year's Eve. So the Packers are 5-1 and one on New Year's Eve. So the Packers' only loss on New Year's Eve was in 2017 uh, to Detroit, and that was the game for the Packers that Brent Hudley started that game the other wins uh the five wins on new year's eve you might be familiar with them the 1961 nfl championship in which the packers won 37-0 against the new york giants the 1967 nfl championship that ice bowl thing um Mm -hmm. where the packers beat the cowboys 21-17 the 1994 nfc wild card that the Packers beat the Lions 16 to 12, the 1995 NFC wild card, and the Packers beat Atlanta 37 to 20. And the fifth one was in 2006 when the Packers, the regular season game, where the Packers beat the Bears 26 to 7. So now we move to New Year's Day. So there's been some really goofy games on New Year's Day, all of them very memorable. So the Packers have never lost. Knock on wood on New Year's Day. They're 4-0. So the first game played, uh, first Packer game played on New Year's Day was uh, the NFL championship in 1966 against Dallas that they won uh, 34-27, and that propelled the Packers to Super Bowl I. So that's obviously a huge win. The, The next ones are a little more esoteric but nonetheless uh interesting. Uh the next one was the next one was was 
for the 2005 season on January 1st, 2006. It was a win against Seattle. It was Mike Sherman's last win, last game for the Packers. That was uh, the year that the Packers won four total games. So one of them was on New Year's Day. Uh, The next one was January 1st, 2012 on the Packers uh, 15 and one 2011 season. This is a game that Aaron Rodgers didn't start. They were resting the starters and Matt Flynn had a career game. This was the Matt Flynn game. Packers beat Detroit 45 to 41. Matt Flynn had six touchdown passes and 480 yards. Matt Stafford holds the Lambeau Field record that day of 520 pass yards, and he had five touchdowns. Guy by the name of Calvin Johnson, he had 244 yards. So, but again, that Matthew Stafford 520 yards passing, that's a Lambeau Field record. And finally, on January 1st, 2017, the Packers were at Detroit. They beat Detroit 31-24 to claim the 2016 NFC North title. So we're not going to be, regardless what happens when we play our last game against Detroit, it's not going to be for the NFC North title, but it could be a huge game nonetheless. So hopefully we'll run it to 5-0. and The other interesting point you put about this season, Jeff, is it's two January regular season games. There was a time where... January football was special and and yeah. having a January home game was extra special. And mm-hmm. now you've got two January home games and they're regular season games. So let's yeah. hope that the crowd comes out that we, we still get good things uh, here on January 1st and January 8th to end this season. Bottom line, we need the Packers to beat the Minnesota Vikings on this Sunday with a few other things, as we mentioned, to fall into place. And then next week we'll be talking about some really good, playoff scenarios for week 18 guys any final thoughts on this week don't stay up too late on new year's eve because you've got to be awake for a packers game that is hopefully going to be a momentous victory over the minnesota vikings that will put us in a position to go to the playoffs this year well i'm looking forward to a spirited game at lambeau again i'm hoping the fans turn out as john gave us the the teaser weather forecast it's Mm -hmm. not going to be super cold uh so hopefully the fans will turn out It'll be loud. It's New Year's Day. Hopefully, you know, people just, they'll just keep carrying over from New Year's Eve festivities right into New Year's Day. It is a the late game. Almost the entire country is going to see it. I'm hoping the Packers step up and they beat the Vikings at home and, it would, and continue on their journey of this very, very weird season. And we like to talk about our social media accounts. So there will be tailgating on Sunday. I'll be there. Uh, I'll try to get some content up, but I don't know that I'm going to do what Neil has done. This is our TikTok page. <laughs> on TikTok, Neil's Move Those Chains video has blown up. He now has 10,300 views on his TikTok with 380 likes on that. It is also doing well as a reel uh, on Instagram, about 5,500 views in another 295 likes there as well so follow us on our social media accounts you can find the gbc podcast at green bay chat it's all one word twitter instagram tiktok and snapchat facebook is the gbc podcast green bay chat 
Also, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, please hit the subscribe button, leave a, com a comment for us. It's all free. We won't charge you anything to follow this podcast. And as always, may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.